and welcome to the Highest Possible Good Podcast. I'm your host, Stacy Posey. Join me and my dad, Tim Gear, a licensed marriage family therapist with over 40 years experience, as we have candid conversations full of practical takeaways to help you experience the highest possible good in your life and relationships. All right, hello, and welcome to the Highest Possible Good podcast with Tim Gear, licensed marriage family counselor, and my dad. My name is Stacy Posey, and I'm your host. And today um, is Easter, so happy Resurrection Sunday! Happy Easter! It's wonderful. I know he is risen. He is risen indeed. It's so good, um, and so many things are so good about Easter. I think some of the things though that can get in the way of enjoying holidays, though, for many is anxiety about family interactions, um, so many things going on, especially in the year with COVID, while we're still dealing with so many of the aftermaths of that. And um, one of the things we're focusing on today is anxiety. (laughs) What to do about it? Yeah, I was Um, a little bit worried about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, how to identify it, how to identify it within yourself is just a you know, kind of the common feeling of anxiety that, you know, we all feel from time to time versus what is diagnosable um, Mm -hmm. anxiety, um, how to differentiate, and then really what, you know, is going to be most useful for you guys today is what to do about it, Um, how to get to that point of peace and, um, you know, not waking up with stress every morning or being stopped by um, your anxiety or overthinking. So the notion inside of yourself yeah. That you are responsible, very responsible, for something that you cannot control, for an outcome you cannot control. Yeah. And as soon as you agree to that scenario where you believe I'm responsible for X, yep. even though I cannot possibly make X happen, yep. the instant outcome is anxiety. Yeah, I can worry. definitely relate to that, even just you know, even my own experience where I can put a lot of pressure on myself with work, you know, I wake up in the morning and I want these things outside of my control to work out correctly. Like I, you know, I want people to know that I'm doing a good job and I want them to be pleased with my work or, you know, all these things where it's other people's reactions or responses where, you know, of course I want to just do good work on my own. That mm-hmm. I have control over is like being diligent and just doing the work. But what I want from my people pleasing or whatever other <laughs> junk I've got going on is like, no, I want them to like actually see that this has happened, but I can't, I have no control over that or how they perceive who right. I am or what I've done. Right. So when I make a suggestion like, let's evaluate your concerns in light of this way of thinking about it, this way of define, discerning between am I taking responsibility for what I can't control? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes that starts to bring some clarity for a client. And sometimes it's it unlocks the worry. An example, like you just said, was that you want a certain outcome at work. You want, a, you want your boss to be sure. pleased. I'll just use that one. Sure, simply. yeah, simple if, example. If you make that your objective and pretend or at least believe that you are in charge of making sure he likes your work today right um well you can't control that yeah you can't be good enough to do it and you um you can't force another person's feelings to do anything so yeah when sometimes when i just present that notion people are already helped and already able to take hold of that and 
and shift and make new decisions about what they believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not responsible for my boss's attitude. What or your a, then, spouse then or your I'm, family member. Or, exactly. Then, right. you're, then you're left with, well, what am I responsible for? Mm-hmm. And that's what I like to call stewardship. I'm responsible to steward what I have in hand. Yeah. That might be do the best job I can. Right. That might be explain the failure with the most integrity and hope. That might be yep. any number of things that I can accomplish, even yep. if they're difficult. And that's completely distinct from the outcome I desire, which is I hope my boss believes me. I hope he's pleased right. with me or I hope my spouse is pleased with me or forgives me, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a, it puts a different tension in place, which I think is constructive, which is, oh, this is my responsibility. I get to steward this well mm-hmm. and operate what I can control well. And I get to trust, well, if I'm a, belie- if I'm a believer, I get to trust God. To give mm-hmm. favor for the right outcome that I desire. Yeah. And then that way, Ask for the it. responsibility mm-hmm. for the what's out of my control is in his control. Yeah. And uh, sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. But right. either way, I, I'm not operating with anxiety the same way. Sometimes yeah, you're not owning it the same. A simple intervention like that, a conversation as we talk about it in the office, begins to unravel and take some of the steam out of anxiousness. Yeah. And if it does that, then we're probably not looking at an anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. a diagnosable disorder. If talking it through, getting perspective uh, can really turn a corner. Sometimes uh, a client will share that they wake in the middle of the night, not woken by anxious thoughts, but as soon as they're awake, they'll start thinking them mm-hmm. and they keep them awake. Well, we also talk about interventions there where sometimes I, it's funny because people say, well, just stop thinking about it. <laughs> and I say, well, you can't because it's important. I mean, you're not, th- you're not kept awake by an unimportant thought. You're kept right. awake by an important thought. Yeah. But it's not the right time of day to do that. <laughs> and you're not going to come up with the right solution at all at 2 o'clock in the morning. So what I tell them instead is to have a pen and paper near their bed, mm-hmm. to re- take fi- turn the light on, take 15 minutes, write out what they're concerned about, write out the questions that are unanswered, write out the goals they want to see accomplished. Just, just get it all on paper. And sometimes they're able to just go back to sleep and review that in the morning because yeah. they haven't lost it. They haven't, mm-hmm. they haven't missed their concern or it's all written down. They'll see it in the morning and can yeah, evaluate it captured. in the right time of day mm-hmm. with a brighter mind. And oftentimes people are able to fall asleep after that. Yeah. Um, and it's a way of, again, that's not, that's not an anxiety disorder. That's managing anxiousness or worry. Yeah. Um, it, so, um, Oftentimes, people walk in the office and... Or even not in the middle of the night. The, that right, sounds right. like a pretty good... <laughs> All right, yeah. in the middle of the day. <laughs> and be... it's like if you're dwelling on something right. and you can't let it go. All right, just stop. Stop marinating and going through the same cycle over and over and just stop. Write it down. Say, I don't actually have the bandwidth or the focus. Or frankly, the energy is not good for me to just keep going and going on this. I'm going to just write it down, put it on a list, and come back to it so later. Pe- so people evidence the capacity to shift their mind. To mm-hmm. shift their thinking, usually they're not in the ballpark of an anxiety disorder. Okay. It's yeah. when people experience that their mind is running them, that their mind is running them over, <laughs> that their mind has chained them to the bumper of the truck and dragging them all over the <laughs> parking lot, yeah. and they can't control it. Uh, we're laughing, but it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. Um, that that sense of I can't stop this uh, mm-hmm. is both frightening and it it actually increases anxiety on top of right. the anxious thought. So that's a, that's a whole nother category of more of a diagnosable condition. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
Um, so I guess the differentiating factor being if I can, you know, if by thinking, getting a different perspective or thinking differently about the things I'm concerned about actually can help shift how I feel about it. You know, this is just a stress. This is something that, you know, it might be very strong. It might be something that really is affecting me. But if I can, you know, experience a shift, then that's probably just a little bit of anxiety and worry. And that's not diagnosable versus, hey, if I literally have no control over this and it just keeps ramping and ramping and there's nothing that seems to help, that's when maybe, you know, looking at definitely talking to a counselor and then seeing if there are any other interventions that might be useful. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, um, well, one of the things that I know you talked about is um, often there are links between anxiety and depression. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Well, again, popular culture links the two oftentimes, mm-hmm. and they're often diagnosed together. Um, and the, the labels or the diagnoses are often accurate and mm-hmm. fine, but the, di- the labels don't really explain where each one is coming from. Yeah. And my experience as a counselor is, a lot of the time, maybe the majority of time, the depression itself is fueled by the anxiety. Hmm. The anxiety is what is the starting point. Okay. And that has a wearing effect and a hopeless inducing effect yeah. that all contribute to a depression. So How sometimes did... I find myself first wanting to treat and help with anxiety. How does anxiety lead to hopelessness? Like what's that process? Well, it's like we were talking a few minutes ago. Uh, it's a sense of not being in control yeah. of your own thoughts and mm-hmm. your own emotions. Um, let me back up a giant step. If you have diagnosable anxiety, there's, a, there's an extremely strong physiological component to that called uh, the adrenaline response. Mm-hmm. Literally, a part of your brain responds to a perceived threat, mm-hmm. whether that's a thought or a a bear coming at you mm-hmm. or the thought of something and that immediately triggers the adrenal glands mm-hmm. to release adrenaline which causes a remarkably powerful instantaneous physiological effect yeah that uh, affects your entire body for a good six to seven minutes and if you aren't trained to recognize that and look at it and understand what that is it can fuel and create more and more confusion less and less mental focus mm-hmm. making you feeling more and more making you feel more and more subject subject to the anxiety itself yeah so one of the aspects we talk about in fact almost in every first session i explained what i just did but in more detail about the fight flight experience of adrenaline yeah and i've had some people who can then interpret the that very physiological set of um, experiences more accurately and understand that it will pass and that's just a momentary experience and that yeah. actually reduces the level of anxiety and creates some hope that this isn't going to control their life forever yeah um, by the time they come in my office usually it's been years yeah living with a level of uh, anxiety that increasingly takes up more and more space right more and more effort more and more requirements to figure out how to cope with this and work around it and yeah. live with it instead of solve it. It sounds exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. And you can see how that would all lead to hopelessness mm-hmm. and depression. And depression, yeah. You're exhausted all the time from your own mm-hmm. mind, which mm-hmm. you can't get away from, can't get out of, right. and you feel stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about if we are, you know, if somebody is stuck in, in either just anxiety itself or that loop sort of between anxiety and depression where they're sort of self-perpetuating to some degree. They each feed into each other. Um, what, um, what are some steps to take? What can people do both um, if you could speak to, you know, kind of your maybe just low level first and then into like increasing amount of like you know, whether diagnosable or more extreme, just to maybe, I guess I'm thinking about like, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, listeners or just people who, you know, I think to some degree, everybody experiences the highs and the lows of life, right? And so I think having an idea, even for just the day-to-day anxieties and when you feel stressed and then also this feeling of being low or hopeless, we've all been there. So I think speaking to that a little bit and then also on the spectrum, how far, what, what else can you do when it gets more extreme? One of the most immediate things I have people do is literally write about their anxiety. To take it out from between their ears, running through their brain at a million miles an hour, to getting it onto paper, putting the words there, being able to look at them and evaluate them often is a big step of containing it. It doesn't make it all go away, Mm -hmm. but it's a step that I can do something about. Mm -hmm. The big pressure inside someone who's impacted by anxiety is that they're eager to find the solution. They have to find the solution. How do I solve this? How do I feel better? How do I, you know, they, they don't, that all fuels further. Yeah. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Anxiety. Yeah. Now they're having anxiety about anxiety. Right now. Again, then they think about having anxiety and I shouldn't have this. And And, you got the shame. And they're trying to control their feelings (laughs) and their feelings aren't subject to control, especially when, like I mentioned a moment ago, it's, turbo-powered by the physiological component, the Mm -hmm. adrenaline aspect of it. So giving them something that they can do versus Mm -hmm. something they can't do, giving them a focus. You can't stop thinking about it, but you can write down what you're thinking about. But you can start writing down what you're thinking about. Yeah. You can, and then you can evaluate that at a time that is not full of anxious emotion. Um, I actually have, it's kind of funny, um, these days with cars and cell phones, you can have a full-blown conversation in your car and no one thinks twice about it they assume you're on the phone yeah and i've actually had people um sort of journal out loud if you will in their car yeah to literally asking themselves okay what am i upset about saying that out loud yeah okay what is it what is it today and what about this and just the extra version of it taking it from between your ears to verbalizing it or writing about it one or the other is a step toward getting a handle on it and establishing some hope. So it like reduces some of the power of it. It reduces some of the power of it. I've just execute I just executed something helpful whereas all the rest of my anxiety process is not helpful. It makes it worse. Got it. I can take what I've written to a counselor or mm-hmm. to a pastor or to a spouse and then I can talk about it in a way that's more constructive. Sometimes that resolves it, but it definitely moves it ahead. Mhm. I've also had people who have uh you know, a more diagnosable anxiety, just recognize the physiological component of the adrenaline drop yeah, and start to sensitize themselves to identify it, Yeah. to be able to talk themselves through it and say, okay, this is going to pass in six or seven minutes. They, that person, when they're in the middle of a, a dump of adrenaline, can't really think very clearly. And if they excuse right. themselves from thinking clearly and can just say... Yeah. This will pass. This is uncomfortable. My heart rate is up. My fingers tingle. My chest is pounding. I'm feeling nauseous. 
Those are what I just listed were all outcomes of an adrenaline response to the body. Mm-hmm. But it's a short acting, short acting hormonal response. So if you wait it out, oftentimes you'll get done with it. You'll be a little tired. Yeah. But you'll be able to think, what was that about? What? Why did I freak out there? What was that? Yeah. Uh, if you, if you um, all of a sudden have an accident, uh, you almost have an accident in your car and you sure. stop and you pull over and your heart's racing, mm-hmm. that's an adrenaline response. Mm-hmm. That's right there's yeah, adrenaline coursing through your body. And if you pull over and wait, you'll, your body will settle down. Got it. So when people, you know, sort of metaphorically pull over um, and they do get a... So they wait until this passes... And then, like you said, they've asked the question, like, okay, what actually brought that on? What what triggered that response for me? Um, for some, it may be difficult to get that answer, but let's just say, for the sake of this question, so they get an answer. Like, okay, this is what was really, this is what made me feel that way. What do you do with that thought? Like, how do you, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about taking thoughts captive, but, like, how do we, you know, take that thought captive or say, like, okay, what... What is true about that? Is it true? Is it like what do you? How do you diffuse that thought from triggering that in the future, or hopefully diffuse it? I I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is one of the most potent ways to diffuse anxiety is to recognize what is my part, yeah, and what is the part I desire to happen, but it's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And when you focus on your part, I want my spouse to not be angry at me. Sure, they're mad at me. Um, if my focus is trying to get them to not feel mad, I, yeah. I don't know how to do that. No. Right. But if I focus on instead, what's my part? Oh, it's to love them well. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's actually solvable. That might be difficult, but I can solve that. I can do the best job for my boss that I can do with integrity. Oh, I can solve that, but that doesn't guarantee the outcome. Right. Now, the outcome is important because the outcome has to do with things are important to us that God is in charge of God can bring about those things and those can be placed actively in his hands to be the one to follow through with the favor you need mm-hmm. with the forgiveness you need with your spouse's heart changed yeah your boss's favor towards you those are all things that God can do on your behalf mm-hmm. as you focus on the part you can do right yeah that's good awesome well, thanks. No, I think that's really useful. So, um, sort of on the, if we want to go on a spectrum, going from left to left to right, if we're on the left side and sort of just in a place where, you know, someone is feeling anxiety here and there, some stress, um, writing things down, even talking out loud to yourself to sort of go from these things banging around inside your brain to somewhere else that's a little more organized, whether that's on paper or just getting it out of your head verbally. Um, all the way to, um, you know, if it's really triggering a physiological response, we want to wait till that's over. So don't try to address it in the moment while you're freaking right. out. Let your freak out pass, basically, and say, you know what, have some, you know, you can call it self-compassion or what, whatever, but basically saying, yes, I'm feeling this, identify it, mm-hmm. let it move forward. And um, once that's passed, figuring out what the source of it was. Mm-hmm. And then really digging down into what am I responsible for he- for here? What do I have influence or control over and what do I not? And then the things that you don't, you basically are just going to put those into an entirely different bucket. Um, 
you know, if you have a living faith saying like, all right, Jesus, like I need you to put, you know, you need to carry these because I can't, it's too heavy and Mm -hmm. I can't have any influence over these and the things that you can kind of rise me up within yourself to say, yes, like I'm going to take action to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And the next step would be to look at the character of those things that you can't control Mm -hmm. and determine if you really holding them as a catastrophic outcome that you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people hold a real catastrophic way of thinking. It will be terminal. It will be the end mm-hmm. of my life if X happens or doesn't yes. happen. Yeah. And uh, with right. a counselor's a help, failure. I think with a counselor's help, that's where you can evaluate that and look at the truth of it, especially in light of God's word, especially in light of his love and care for you. Yeah. That can be ways to examine that. Because sometimes you'll you'll end up looking in that that bucket of what is not in your control and and it terrifies you right yeah like what if you know right. yeah all, with all the so what ifs right if they I, came true that's, that's not i don't make light of that and that isn't right. something you can easily you can't just walk away from that terror but there are ways to process that with a counselor yeah to be set free from that yeah that would be another conversation <laughs> <laughs> yes does it include any like rewriting the lies with some truth some of that i don't know actually what i do with I'll, I'll go ahead. What I do with that client who has a very catastrophic view of what what if mm-hmm. that happens or doesn't happen, uh, I literally walk them through the repeated question, and what if that did happen? Yeah, and just face and it. And they say, because then this would happen. Okay, and then what would be terrible about that? Because yeah. this would happen. And what would be fatal about that? What would be terrible about that? Well, this is what would be fatal faithful yeah. you know and and ultimately you get to the real core of what the fear is about yeah uh yeah and that's a place reliably that god's promises and his truth and his love his love casts out fear that's a place yeah you actually so, get freedom so oddly enough what i work with when i work with a client i'm actually leading them to look and examine what they're afraid of mm-hmm. which human nature is to run the other way right. real fast yeah but when you have a confidence that God's got the answer for this, you can yes. do that. Yeah. And you can look at it and say, if that happened, I'd still be okay. That would be terrible, but I'd still live. Yep. Um, I had that experience with my wife. Yeah. I was afraid of her outcome of her surgery. Yeah. And three days before, was walking that through and literally said, that would be terrible. I don't want that to happen. I don't want yeah. her to be harmed. I don't want her to die. Right. Um, and he brought reassuring promises of his care. Yeah. Even if that did happen. I didn't want it to happen. Right. Um, of course not. Three days later, she did have a very, very bad experience mm-hmm. that was very harmful to her. Remarkably for me, I was not freaked out. <laughs> of course, I was scared and concerned for her. Mm-hmm. Normal. But I wasn't full of anxiety because God had already planted Addressed it. Yeah. a promise in me about it Yeah. beforehand. Because right. I had He's taken time to evaluate no my own heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, well, I love that. Um, thanks for the perspective. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, for everyone out there, I think, like, who, you know, experiences anxieties or has these fears. And, you know, hopefully these tools are useful for you. You know, write things down. Talk out loud. Talk to somebody who you can trust, who's trustworthy. Um, and likewise, you know, start 
giving yourself some space when you start feeling some of these feelings um, and really starting, you know, whether you need someone to walk through it with you and kind of, you know, metaphorically hold your hand as you walk through some of your fears, you know, find that person um, or if you're able to do it on your own or even just with God, like having those conversations of, you know, just being real about like, and what if it did happen? Um, and really getting to the point of freedom where you don't actually have to carry that anymore, but you actually put it squarely where it belongs in God's hands. So I think that's a really good word. Right. And then if you literally are just being run ragged yeah. by a constant flow of anxiety, call a counselor. Yeah. Call a counselor and get some help because yeah. it's not going to resolve of its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're interested in talking to, to Tim, um, it's timgear.com. So welcome to hit up his website there. You can schedule um, schedule a session, check out his calendar, but, um, even if, if not, um, he also gives referrals and, um, can make someone, you know, try to find someone who's a, who's a good fit for you as well. So, um, that's all for today. Um, I hope that was useful. I think, um, as we all, you know, enjoy holiday time with family, I think all these things can be really relevant (laughs) and applicable. So enjoy your Easter Sunday. Uh, enjoy your time with family. Don't let anxiety rule your life or steal your joy. And we will talk to you next time. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.